0: This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family wealth and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to com slash coaching to learn more. You know, the, the nice thing is
1: really if somebody wants to have a child, the student loan debt should never, ever be an obstacle. If 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 you feel like there's a financial obstacle because of the student loan debt, that's because you haven't looked at your budget close enough.
0: This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids & Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill. And today we're talking about student loans. Since our country is currently drowning in $1.5 trillion of student debt, it's fair to say that we have a big, big problem on our hands. The news media is even predicting it as the next financial crisis. Ugh. If you're listening to this, you may just be one of those many Americans that's feeling like they are completely underwater with these loans. Well, today I have a very special guest who's going to talk to us about our options to get rid of these bad boys as fast as possible. Travis Hornsby is here with us today. He is the founder of Student Loan Planner. This is a company focused on helping people figure out exactly what to do with their monster student loan debt. He's helped over 1,500 clients save over $80 million on their student loans. That is a crazy number. (laughs) His advice and story has been featured in U.S. News, Business Insider, and Rolling Stone. Welcome to the show, Travis. Great to be here, Andy. Excellent. So, Travis, how did you decide to start this company of yours? That's a great question. Uh, Out of necessity.
1: (laughs) My, My wife had med school loans, and at the time when I met her, she was my girlfriend, not my wife, and we had that money conversation like a lot of couples do when they're starting to get serious and i said here's my assets and liabilities and this is you know what my thoughts are about money what are yours and i think we mainly had this conversation cuz it was important to me <laughs> and she just sort of you know humored me and then she said oh by the way i have no assets and i have a lot of liabilities <laughs> and i said oh shoot how much and she told me and at the time it seemed like a lot. What I know now is that her amount was very, very small, <laughs> um, for for a physician. So she had one hundred twenty-four thousand in medical school loans. And my thought process was, well, she's going to make a lot more money when she finishes her fellowship training, and she's going to make you know more than double her her income, hopefully, and then she'll be able to just pay that thing off in you know a year or less. That was my thought process. But then I learned about income driven repayment, I learned about loan forgiveness, I learned about refinancing, and then I found that it really wasn't as simple as I thought it was. So I made a spreadsheet for her and then I shared that with some friends and those friends were like, "Do what you did for her for me." And my wife was like, "You know, you should charge for this because this is this could be a business." And so I was like, "Oh, ha, ha funny," <laughs> and and I and I did that a little bit, and I started seeing the need was really great out there. And then I published the calculator on, on Business Insider, and then that's when everything went viral, and that's when the business really took off.
0: That's incredible. So you you found a way to help your wife, and then some friends, and then it turned into a business. That that's fantastic. So. Talk about a little bit of those things that you did with your wife to help her eliminate you said 124K, is that what it was? Right. Talk about those steps that you walked through. You started to mention some terms there that were flying over my head. So <laughs> sure, yeah. I mean, so so
1: with student loans, if you have federal student loans, right? The government gives everybody the same interest rate, give or take. It's like six to eight percent. And for somebody who got a degree in, you know, something that's that's not a super economic kind of Thing to study, that's actually a pretty low interest rate. But if you got a degree in engineering or, or you know, or, or or medicine or something like that, then that interest rate could be artificially high. So one thing that you can do is is refinance the debt. The other thing you can do is pay based on your income. And then a third thing you can do while paying based on your income is to seek loan forgiveness. And for for Physicians, particularly, and this is true for anybody that's working at a not-for-profit or a government employer. You can pay for ten years based on your income, and at the end of those ten years, the balance—if you have a balance—is forgiven tax-free. That's called the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program.
0: And that's f- and, and that's for who you said for for people who work for
1: the government, the government or a five hundred one c three not-for-profit. Okay. So that's about that's about twenty five percent of the American workforce. Wow. Okay. And the problem is you have to have the right kind of loans. You have to have direct loans, which were issued mostly after two thousand ten. And if you don't have those kind of loans, you can you can make them. you can you can create them actually. You just have to actually do something called consolidation hmm. and take your old loans and turn them in the right kind of loans. So for my wife, she at the time we met, she was in her final year of fellowship. So she had seven years of training under her belt, and she needed to do ten years of total service, right? And she'd been paying based on her income since the very beginning. So I thought, wow, she's got seven years of credit towards this loan forgiveness program. If she makes three more years of payments that are gonna be you know, about $1,200 a month because they can cap it based off of the, the max payment that you'd make on a 10-year plan, if she makes three more years of those payments, we'll still have like eighty or $90,000 left over that'll, that'll get forgiven tax-free. Wow. And so I realized... Just at that moment, when I when I realized that, I was like, wow, so if we had paid this back, we could have cost ourselves eighty or $90,000. But then, I submitted all the paperwork for her, and we had to deal with this company called Fed Loan Servicing. And anybody who has student loans that knows what that name means probably just cringed right now. <laughs> but but that, that company came back and said, not only do you not have seven years of credit towards the 10 that you need, on half of the loans, you have three years of credit, and on the other half of loans, you have zero years of credit, which made no sense. Huh. And so it turns out that she got some bad consolidation advice when she finished her residency, and it turns out that she didn't consolidate soon enough on some other set of loans. So basically, she had wiped away all the credit on her direct loans, and she had wiped away all the credit on her FFEL loans, which were the loans before 2010. Uh, which she had to have done, but she should have done it sooner. Hmm. And so, because of that, you know, zero years of credit on one set, three years of credit on on the other set, it didn't really make sense for her to pursue that lo-
0: loan forgiveness program anymore. Because the Bas- interest would keep it piling up, and it would just get overwhelming.
1: Well, but ba- basically, it was because if you have to pay on that ten-year plan that's capped for like seven or eight years because of that high interest rate. She would have only had maybe ten or twenty thousand dollars left over to forgive. Mm-hmm. Okay and so then we're we're talking about spending a lot of our time, our, our resources, our mental energy trying to qualify for this loan forgiveness program that has a very small projected benefit. Mm-hmm. So I was pretty upset for her. She I don't think realized how much she got messed up with this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but um, but I was basically thinking, goodness sakes, like this shouldn't happen to anybody else ever yeah. again. I mean, you honestly, know?
0: what were you, you were just describing the process of what she might have done wrong or what she did do wrong or the consolidation that that just sounds like you need a, a <laughs> you need a doctorate to figure out this stuff out. And it's confusing. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, That's... it's
1: confusing. And, and, and you know, the, the PSLF program just had a, a report that the acceptance rate was one percent hmm. uh, for people who applied. And it's, it's basically because I won't get into too much detail, but basically people didn't, didn't understand the directions and didn't understand the the process of what qualifying for this program looks like. Now, if you follow the instructions and you follow the directions, you actually do qualify. And we'll I know we'll get into that later, but but you know it's it is very possible to get loan forgiveness. It's just you have to do everything the right way. And we, after doing that study, I realized that we were not going to get loan forgiveness really in in a way that that was was you know going to help us. And so what we did is we decided to refinance our loan from a 6.8 percent rate to a 2.2 percent rate, and then we just paid it back in about 15 months.
0: Wow. So uh, the 124k that was at six, what six and uh, three quarters or something like that? Yeah, about that. And then uh down, down to 2.2%. Okay. Wow. I mean, so after that, after that refi, you guys just plowed through it. You said in 15 months. Yeah, it was.
1: Wow. We, it was pretty rapid. It, it was just. It was just very important to us to have it gone if we were not going to get loan forgiveness before we had kids.
0: Yeah. Wow. So, okay. So, I mean, this all come from a, this, this business and uh, everything that you're interested in here came from your personal need, obviously. And that's that's fantastic. So let's talk a little bit about that for couples, you know, when, when people get together and they're starting to talk about marriage, you know, what are some of these conversations that people should be having as they are thinking about walking down the aisle with this person and, and, and saying, I do for the rest of their lives? Sure. So, I mean, I'll break
1: it up into two kinds of couples. So, one, one kind of couple both has student loan debt. And in that case, you probably have a similar strategy. You want to make sure that you're on the same page as to what your plan is. So most of the time when I'm talking to two people that are married or getting married or that they, they both have student loan debt, I want to make sure that they're on the same page and they're going to pursue the same strategy. So that means the same payment plan, the same forgiveness or refinancing approach, just because the math makes it so that it's, it's very important that they agree on the same approach. Now, the flip side is, and this is where the tension comes in, this is where the, the good, good interesting stories happen, <laughs> is, is when somebody has a lot of student loan debt and the other person doesn't. Hmm. So in that case, I'm going to give you an example a, a veterinarian has 300,000 of student loan debt and she earns $75,000 a year. That veterinarian is getting married to a, you know, corporate desk job, kind of a, a person. And he has, uh, you know, 80,000 income, but no student loan debt. Mm-hmm. If they get married legally and turn in the paperwork, then, and they file jointly married filing jointly for their income tax, then he has to pay on her student loan debt. Because they have to pay based on their income. When you get married, it's your joint marital income that they look at, unless you do married filing separately Hmm. on the right payment plan. So I'm just going to say pretend that they did IBR and and she does the um, you know she's paying 15% of her income and they get married. Well, now he has to pay 15% of his income too. Hmm. And one approach that they could take is you know they could have a conversation about whether or not it makes sense to get legally married instead of spiritually married, which I've had a couple people make that decision because of the cost. They basically have the thought process that, you know, my marriage is between, you know, me and my spouse and our friends and family, or it's between, you know, us and God, or it's between, you know, Uh, It's just a sacred promise we make to each other. Like there's different thoughts on this, but I've had definitely had people that have decided to get married and not turn in the paperwork because of their student loan debt. I've even had people that decided to get strategically divorced because of their student loan debt. They were already married.
0: That is incredible. So student, student loans are affecting people so much that they are choosing whether or not to get married or divorce to make it a more advantageous situation to pay these things off.
1: Yeah, because say that veterinarian was getting married to a let's just say a urologist making three hundred thousand dollars a year, and in that case, filing married filing separately for income taxes would cost them probably twenty or thirty grand a year in income taxes, and so it doesn't make sense to file separately. If they file joint, they have to pay that twenty or thirty thousand dollars towards their loans every year, and because of that kind of situation, if she was single. Then she could pay based on her income, and so over twenty years she might only pay a hundred grand on a three hundred thousand dollar loan. And you know, there's, there's, you know, you should have to pay income taxes in the forgiven balance. There's some complications to this, but basically they would probably save a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars, you know, in, on her student loans from not being married. And you know, in that kind of a case, like I've had people that have been more of like the very cold, calculating, rational kind of folks that want to make the best financial decision. And, and uh, this doesn't happen very often of only one or two cases out of 1,500, but they look at the math and they're like, so what you're saying is it makes no sense to be married under these student loan rules." <laughs> and I was like, well, hold up, like in um, very specific cases and in certain situations, you know, it, that's the case. And I've had other people have that same situation and just say, well, that's fine. It looks like we just have to pay the loans off. You know, like that's been people's reaction too. It's, it kind of depends on the couple, but it's it's very important to realize that there's huge implications for sending in your marriage certificate if you have a lot of student loan debt, whether or not you're you know, one person that has a lot of student loan debt or you both
0: have it. And a lot of people don't realize that. Because of the tax implications. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's incredible. So <laughs> you just kind of blew me back there for a little bit for a bit there. (laughs) Well, let's talk about these options then um, that we we started to touch on a little bit at the top of the show. Let's talk through student loan forgiveness. So who is this for? You you said it's for people who have a 501c3 organization that they work for or for the government. So that could be a university, that Mm -hmm. could be um, a federal government, hospital, things like that. So who is it? Who's it not for? Then I guess everybody else, right? Well, so loan
1: forgiveness is actually a lot broader than people realize. So I just mentioned a specific kind of loan forgiveness. So I'll try to simplify things. So people should generally be paying under one of two plans, either the revised pay-as-you-earn plan or the pay-as-you-earn plan if they're wanting to seek loan forgiveness. Those plans are not necessarily helpful for people who need to pay back their loans, but we're just talking about loan forgiveness for a second. So under those two plans, you can pay 10% of your discretionary income. So just pretend it's about 10%. And you're paying that basically for a certain number of years. Under this public service loan forgiveness program that has a lot of requirements, you can pay under one of those two plans for 10 years and the balance is forgiven tax free. So that's for about 25% of the workforce. Now, what about for everybody else, the other 75%? There's actually a loan forgiveness st- strategy for those people too. And it's called IDR loan forgiveness. And this is something that is open to everybody. IDR loan forgiveness is when you're paying on the pay or the repay programs for 20 to 25 years, depending on the plan. At the end of those 20 to 25 years, you have to pay income tax on the forgiven debt that's discharged. Hmm. So, For example, say that veterinarian with $300,000 in debt, she pays $400 a month for 20 years under the pay-as-you-earn plan. At the end, she has $500,000 of student loan debt, because it grew. And now she's got to pay $200,000 to the IRS all at once. Now, the reason why that's not terrifying is because you know if you can pay $100,000 over 20 years, and then you can pay a lump sum $200,000 tax bomb, if you think about the cost of inflation and the fact that money is is worth less and less over time, then the value of that strategy might only be half of what she actually owes in today's dollars. Right. And so then that's a way to get some relief on a $300,000 loan balance that a lot of people under a traditional personal fine set mentality think that they have to pay back directly.
0: So hmm.
1: the guess, forgiveness, I guess I would yeah.
0: be, I'd be worried if that were me, I'd be worried if the, the government would honor, honor that 20 years later. I mean, there's so many sure. changes in the government. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? So loan forgiveness has only become more
1: and more generous over time. Go back to basically the the 90s, when they had income-contingent repayment, and it was very difficult to access. And then in 2007, they passed public service loan forgiveness and income-based repayment, and then they actually made all that available starting in 2009. And then in 2013, they dropped the required payment from 15% to 10% under a a new repayment plan. And then in 2016, they opened up another repayment plan that paid part of your interest for you you know so there's a, a consistent history of the government becoming more and more generous which kind of makes sense because i think that all, under a lot of these sort of entitlement programs you would see an expansion of benefits and then there's some sort of crisis and then what they do is they grandfather in everybody that's already you know on track for a certain promised benefit and they just make it less generous for future recipients so that kind of I think is where we're like headed. The future
0: of social security then? <laughs> exactly. I think this
1: future of student loans is very similar to the future of Medicare and Social Security that you know the people that are already very close to the you know to the exit are going to get the benefits that that were promised and I think the people that you know there's been a lot of attempts to change the rules for people who are not yet in graduate school or undergrad and those attempts so far have failed because obviously not a lot of is getting done in Washington, <laughs> right yeah. now. Right. Um, so <laughs> you know, so I think that that's that's what's interesting about this is a lot of people express that fear. You know, they fear the unknown, which is that they think the government's going to pull the rug out from under them. But the problem is, is over uh, two point seven million people owe more than a hundred thousand dollars of student loan debt. So two point seven million people in America owe a house, you know, <laughs> on their on their brain, and to. There's already about an 11 percent default rate, and I think about 40 percent of people paying back student loans are using like forbearance or deferment or are in default or delinquency. So that's a staggering number of people. If the government pulled away income-based repayment, there would be a financial crisis.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about, um, you know, default or delinquency. Like this is this is not a loan that you can just walk away from, right? No, yeah. so the
1: Congress passed rules, special rules that make student loan debt the most difficult kind of debt in the world to discharge in bankruptcy. And you know if you if you think about it, <laughs> um, you know if if they allowed people to discharge their student loans in bankruptcy, everyone would default probably immediately. <laughs> or a lot of a lot of people would because you know, if you could make it like a credit card where credit cards are settled for like three cents on the dollar, then why, you know, if you if you made a lot of these decisions and taking out a lot of student loan debt, why would you pay it? You just try to file bankruptcy and move on, and then you know that would kind of expose the emperor has no clothes, and that would probably force changes to the system which are needed. But yeah. yeah, so right right now, the the thing that people don't realize though is rather than being delinquent or defaulting or trying to declare bankruptcy, most people that are struggling like that have way more attractive options thanks to some of these income based repayment programs they
0: don't even know about. We'll be back to the show after a word from our sponsors. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com/tello and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up, the code is valid until April 19th, 2024. marriagekidsandmoney.com/tello. Thanks for considering our sponsors everyone. Let's jump back into the show. All right. Well, let's, let's keep talking about our options then. We talked about the forgiveness a little bit. Let's talk about refinancing. You said that worked for your wife. You went from the, you know, almost 7% down to 2%. How does a process like that work? How is that attractive to the, I guess, the, the lenders?
1: Sure. So if, if you owe less than one and a half times your income and debt, so I make hundred thousand dollars and I earn less than $150,000 and I work in the private sector and, you know, and probably I'm not gonna be switching to you know, a government job anytime soon, then that person should refinance because you're not gonna get any forgiveness. If you choose one of those income-based programs, you're just gonna pay the whole thing back and you're gonna pay it back to the government at a rate of six, seven, eight percent when you can get a lower interest rate and get out of debt sooner. Hmm. So in that kind of a case, you'd wanna refinance. What I discovered when I refinanced, when we refinanced my wife's student loans is that you can get a cashback bonus for refinancing. So part of what we do with our business is a lot of the people that just need to refinance and know that they need to refinance would just visit something like studentloanplanner.com forward slash refi, R-E-F-I, and they just click our our links and they get a cashback bonus, they comparison shop, and we don't actually ever talk to them. And that's, that's fine. So what the reason that works is because, you know, in other personal finance products, you know, you might have affiliate links, people click on them, you know, sites get compensation. What I've discovered is that this, the the partners will allow you to give people uh, um, even a majority of what you're earning on the uh, click back to the reader huh. in the form of the cashback bonus. So then you can really negotiate higher and higher cashback bonuses the more volume you send these lenders. So since we send the lenders a lot of cashback, uh, sorry, a lot of volume, we've been able to negotiate those bonuses ever higher, uh, where, you know, they're between like $200 and $1,000 now. And that's, that's exciting because, you know, in a traditional sense, if you're trying to refinance your mortgage, you have to pay an appraisal fee, you have to pay probably some closing fees or some costs, right? And so with student loan refinancing, not only does it not cost you any money, but it actually costs you negative money. Huh. And the reason why this makes sense for a, a a lender, because obviously, what's the catch? You know, what? Why? Right. Why, are th- why are they so willing to to do this? It's it's simply from a risk perspective. The government's charging an artificially high price. So you know, imagine everybody's getting charged the same price, and the lenders can come out and cherry pick the people who are the best risks, which is what they're doing. Then they realize that the ten-year Treasury bond gives the three percent. So if they can make a ten-year loan to a a physician at five percent. And that's super attractive for them, right? You know, because they're getting a five percent loan on that. When maybe if they lend to a, you know, a, a, a risky company, they might lend to a risky company at, you know, four percent or four and a half percent. So they're getting even more yield to lend to somebody who's probably safer than a lot of the people they're lending money to. So that's why they're interested in doing it. It's it's basically a market inefficiency that the government hasn't eliminated yet.
0: So what's the qualification process? That a good credit score, uh, I have a good job with a great income, and I'm just <clears throat> I'm just looking to pay these things down. What, what what is the qualification when I go through to refinance my loans?
1: Yeah, you just need a lower. You need a debt income ratio below two to one. Uh, that's that's one thing that's helpful at least. And then for a credit score, you really only need something above a six fifty. And if you have those two things, you will probably get approved somewhere. So, you know, I would say that you only want to refinance, though, if you're really confident that that's, you know, the right thing to do and, and the, the payment will be really easy for you to make. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I, I see people do is they'll do a 10 or a 15 year loan to start because the required payment is smaller and they'll make extra payments and pay down more of the principal balance than they have to, you know, according to the term terminal loan. And then they can actually refinance again and pick up another cashback bonus and cut the, the loan term to like five or seven years. Huh. So that's 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 called a refi ladder. So you know that's something that more and more people should should do. Um, I, I did I did a study of my readers and I asked them what what kind of lower interest rate they need to refinance again. And first of all, half of them didn't even know they could refinance twice or three times. And then you know of those people. I think the total number was I think sixty percent of people said they would need an improvement in their interest rate of more than two percent to refinance again. you wow. know and so they say refinance your mortgage if you can get a one percent interest savings uh, and that has a lot of costs to it. Mm-hmm. Refinancing has negative costs to it, and people don't want to refinance unless they get two percent or more savings. so it's really amazing to me how um you know how little people understand about that process.
0: so with the refi ladder, then do you have to switch from company to company or can you go SoFi again and SoFi again. How yeah. see,
1: Right. So, so generally company to company, because, you know, the company itself won't want to, you know, give you the better deal. Right. Right. And, and, and that's the one that SoFi is the one everybody knows about. You know, we, we've got eight, eight other lenders on our site that people don't even know about. And, um, you know, most people, uh, about 40% of people just shop at one place, which is also staggering to me like if you're going to buy a you know a Ford Explorer you wouldn't go to one car you know one place and, and ask you know what, what you know what's the price right especially on something that's even more expensive like a student loan um, so yeah so so basically you just want to make sure you shop out I say at least three places and then when you do do the refi letter you can you can apply you know other places and if you get a lower rate you can refinance again And sometimes the company you're already with will just say, hey, to keep your business, we'll just give you that rate and that term to make it easy.
0: Hmm. Okay. Well, let's say there's somebody listening right now and they say, you know what? This sounds really difficult and confusing. I'm just going to buckle down and pay this thing off. I'm going to live on, you know, a lot of Dave Ramsey fans here. I'm going to live on beans and rice and pay this thing down. What is your thought on that process?
1: Well, I had a case very similar to this yesterday and uh, they had about three hundred thousand of federal student loans. They had about a hundred thousand of private student loans. Um, and yes, and they I'm were both
0: sorry, I'm grabbing my heart right now. everybody. Everybody's I not seeing yeah. us on video.
1: <laughs> and they were both, you know, they were both making about sixty, seventy thousand in the healthcare space. And they had done a great job. They had no credit card debt. They had good savings, you know, about 20000 dollars in savings. And their thought was, well, we just need to, you know, beans and rice, beans and rice, and pay it all back. And what I showed them was that forgiveness math on the federal student loans would cause them to save about one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And so, if they had paid on their federal student loan debt, they'd be costing themselves long term one hundred fifty grand. And you know, instead of making that kind of aggressive approach on that kind of debt, the private student loan debt, they did need to take that mentality too, because in their case, their their debt to income ratio was so high, and nobody would agree to refinance their private loan. Mm-hmm. And you can't. You can't bankrupt a private loan, so you know they were dealing with a thousand dollar a month payments on this private student loan on top of their federal student loan payments, and they were trying to start a family at some point soon you know and so they were under so much stress and so I said, well, here's the thing, you do have the right mentality. I like that mentality, but you know you know one thing that I can say is is you know you get really emotionally motivated to pay back debt. But if you don't have a plan, it's kind of like walking straight into a machine gun. <laughs> you know, And so you have to tackle the private debt first in their case. I told them to t- you know be super aggressive with that. And then when they're when they're done with that, they will have a thousand dollars a month payment that they no longer have to fight back against. You know, and then that thousand dollars a month payment is probably half of the way to covering their daycare expense. So I kind of framed that as a as a challenge as an obstacle that they needed to tackle, you know, preferably first before, you know, having having a baby since that was probably a couple of years away anyway. And they were really on board with that. They were really excited. So so yes, you can pay back your debt, but you have to make sure you're paying the right kind of debt. And if you don't if you're not paying the right kind of debt, that you're just going to cost yourself a lot of money and delay things like retirement, buying a house, starting a family that are more important than just being debt-free just to say that you're debt-free.
0: Right. Yeah. When, when you started to talk about, and I've, you know, read this on, on your site a little bit of all these young families or young couples that are just putting off having kids because there's so many obstacles ahead of them. How much are you hearing about that with the clients that you're talking to And, and how, how big of a conversation is that? It's a huge
1: conversation,
0: huge. Now, you know,
1: if you think about You know, having kids biologically, right? You know, a a you know professional woman that has a lot of student loan debt is she's under a lot of stress under under her career. You know, women disproportionately bear the brunt of the household chores, even though they shouldn't. You know, it's just it's it's so that you already have all this stress, right? So take away student loan debt from the picture. There's already things that would cause someone who doesn't feel like she has enough support to want to have a lot of children, and then you factor in the student loan debt too now you have this huge financial stress that you know that that prevents you from having kids or at least it feels like that and there's so many things just flying in the face of somebody who wants to have a family especially a large one you know and and also housing costs are higher than they were for our parents generation so there's there's definitely some major major challenges i like to joke that if you have a child, it'll save you about fifty dollars a month on your student loan payment because they'll they'll reduce it. But you know, you'll cost yourself about two thousand dollars in daycare and diaper bills. <laughs> but you know, the the nice thing is really if somebody wants to have a child, the student loan debt should never ever be an obstacle. If, if if you feel like there's a financial obstacle because of the student loan debt, that's because you haven't looked at your budget close enough. So there's definitely something going on in your budget that you could interchange or swap out or eliminate and replace that expense with children if they're important. It just depends on what is the most important thing to you. And, you know, for some people, they, you know, their most important thing is, you know, is freedom and enjoying themselves and and, and they don't want to have kids. They don't feel called to that. And that's, that's totally fine. There's no problem with that. And, you know, some people that's what they want more than anything in the world. So if, you know, if, if you want that, child more than anything in the world but you're spending money on a car loan well that's not a not a decision that aligns with your values and you can do a lot of things that can eliminate that car loan and free up probably 1000 to you know 1500 a month that can go into covering that cost of, of children same thing with you know other expenses like we, we don't even spent realize what we're spending money on I you know I could go off on this way too long but basically <laughs> you know you want to have it tracked in a budget app you know you need a budget or men.com and the, you know, if you do that, you'll spend 40% less.
0: I love it. I love it. Is, is that something that you and your wife have uh, discussed with your, your family and planning, things like that?
1: Oh, yeah. So we decided to <laughs> put our money where our mouth was and we're using it to budget right now. And it was, it was a little confusing at first, but just being able to have a conversation starter around what are our goals and what do we care about and what are we funding and what are we giving for charity you know, we have this really messy spreadsheet that of, of giving for charity and we're trying to get it all like reconciled so we can send it to our accountant. And it's like, wow, if we tracked this in an online budgeting app, this would be a heck of a lot easier, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and it's, you know, it's cool too, to just be organized. And, you know, we only been married for a little over a year, so we still have, you know, some separate accounts we're trying to like figure out. And it's just a great, you know, relationship builder and conversation starter when you have the same goals and you have the same path you're swimming down. Um, so, so I think that, you know, I would just encourage any young married couple out there or somebody who's going to get married to, to take advantage of doing some of these, you know, budgeting apps. And it's just a, a wonderful, wonderful thing to do.
0: Also a great way to just, you know, connect with your spouse too on, on your future plans, your dreams, you know, whether a family is an important thing in the future, uh, just kind of putting out there your financial goals and, and collaborating. So very, very good point. Uh, so Travis, I have a question for you. Um, I guess it's kind of twofold if, if. If your wife could go back to Mm -hmm. the beginning of college and do things all over again, now knowing what she knows more now with all these situations, what do you think she might have done differently? And I guess I'm putting that in perspective of, you know, the people who have maybe teens right now that are like, all right, I'm about to I'm about to put my children through this mess or or whatever this is. Uh, How how could I do things the right way? And I guess from your wife's perspective, (laughs) maybe that would be a good way to think about it. Well, this is going to be pretty
1: pretty bad, uh, because the what she should have done is, <clears throat> because she wants to go into academic medicine, and that was her goal from the very beginning, she should have taken out way more debt, and her parents helped her out a lot with the cost of tuition and living expenses and rent and those kind of things, and really, that money would all have been able to have been kept by them if they had realized that she could use the PSLF program. Mm-hmm. And so when she graduated medical school, she would have consolidated the debt right away and get out, got of every got everything on and, you know, the right income driven repayment program. She would have sent in her P S L F forms to get tracked right away. And then when she had graduated fellowship, she would have only had three more years to go to get that loan forgiveness benefit. Hmm. And so she would have probably owed two hundred or two hundred fifty thousand dollars. She would have lived in a nicer place, gone out to eat more with friends, <laughs> and instead of getting nothing forgiven, she would have gotten two hundred, two hundred fifty thousand forgiven. And obviously, anyone listening that doesn't have student loan death that doesn't understand the psychological burden, or you know, maybe you know they do have it, but they just think that's crazy. Yes, I mean, I agree, it's kind of crazy, but that's the what our system is built up to reward right now. You know, so that's just the reality of of yeah. of what the rules are right now is is basically a, it's a system that rewards taking out as much debt as possible because you're going to pay us uh, not very much of it. And wow. yeah, so that's what she would have done is actually be less responsible with her debt. Now, if somebody wants to be very responsible on the front end, you know and and not have to rely on these government forgiveness programs, what I would say to you is, is do not do a master's or graduate degree program just because you think that, you know, it's the next step. You know, I had somebody the other day that she was a, um, somebody actually that was on my podcast. Um, and, and she was basically saying that she graduated with a film degree and she didn't know what to do. So she had a really great, you know, uh, class with this attorney and she thought it would be really neat to go to, uh, law school to become an entertainment attorney. And so she went to law school and racked up three hundred thousand of student loan debt at one of these you know very high cost private schools. yeah. And she ended up getting a job that she could have gotten without a law degree anyway. Mm. And you know the law, the law school education helped, but it was not worth three hundred thousand dollars. And she expressed that living in New York was really fun and, and those kind of things. Well, for that kind of a person, you know, take some savings or you know take a job doing something to get some early, you know savings built up in the bank twenty, thirty, forty thousand. And then just quit your job and go traveling for a while and go live in a city you've always wanted to live in and, you know, take some sort of, you know, waiting tables kind of job just to survive and try to have a lot of free time and enjoy yourself and read and go to the library and, and, you know, reflect on things. So I would say actually avoid education in in a lot of cases. If you think that you just have to have a next step, you don't take some, take a year or two, you know, delay that decision and, you know, see if that's really what you want to do. So that's one big suggestion. And if you know for sure that all you want to do is become a physician or you know a, a pharmacist or an attorney or something like that, then go to the cheapest school that you possibly can go to. If you want to have a traditional, healthy financial kind of setup where you don't have to use someone like me's services, <laughs> um, you know. I mean, seriously, like you know, people are going to take out a lot of debt uh, without me helping them. But I can help people not take out a lot of debt by giving them some of this advice in the front end. So you know, in that case, go to the cheapest school that you can go to and try to live super frugally and everything and, and, and go to the school that gives you the best scholarship package too. don't really get so caught up in the, you know, in the name brand of the school or the location, you know, the, the price is the most important thing.
0: Okay. And then there's somebody listening right now and says, okay, that's fantastic. I've already got $200,000 in student loans. What's the one piece of advice you'd leave with them today? The first thing that they should do after listening to the show. I would say do not put your head in the sand and pretend
1: it's going to go away. This problem will only get worse the more you ignore it. So take it seriously and take advantage of all the resources out there that exist to help you so that you do not pay hundreds of thousands of dollars when you don't need to.
0: Absolutely. All right. Well, let's give them another resource uh, to check out. So where can people connect with you and learn more about Student Loan Planner? Sure. So obviously the site
1: studentloanplanner.com has got tons of resources. We've got a blog with a ton of different categories that probably fits your profession. So check that out. And then if you want to reach out about your specific situation, you can contact us at help at studentloanplanner.com. And one of us will get in touch with you and we'll just tell you what we think that you you should do, whether it's the refinancing path or if it's booking a, a custom plan.
0: Excellent. Well, thanks so much for your time today, Travis. This was an enlightening topic for me. I did not know a lot about this. Um, I did have student loans in my life, um, but uh, not to the extent of some of the monster debt that is out there right now. That's quite frightening. So uh, thank you for doing what you're doing, helping people out. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot of people. You said over, was it 2.7 million have over 100,000 in, in loans right now? Is that what you said? Yeah. And that's doubling every probably five years or so. Wow. Okay. Well, it's only going to grow. Well, keep doing what you're doing, man. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I appreciate it. Thanks, Andy. That was a sobering discussion. (laughs) 2.7 million Americans with over $100,000 of student debt. Those numbers are, yeah, slightly depressing. And and it makes me a bit worried about the financial future of our country. But uh, nevertheless, we must take action to crush this debt. Here are my top three takeaways from my conversation with Travis Hornsby. Number one, investigate student loan forgiveness. If you have over $100,000 of student loan debt, you may want to consider your options for student loan forgiveness. There are a lot of options that Travis went through, and some of them may fit your situation, even if you're not a government employee or part of a nonprofit. So check out the federal student aid website to learn more about some of these options. And I'm going to put that link in the show notes for everyone to do that. But um, yeah, investigate this could really save you a boatload of cash. Number two, (coughs) refinance your student debt. Travis and his wife had some big success with refinancing their student debt down from what was it 6.8% to 2.2%. That's a lot. And that helped them to eliminate her student debt in just about 15 months. So that's, you know, if you're gonna start your marriage off in any fashion, you might might as well do it that way, right? Eliminate some debt together. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they did this, they did this plan after they discovered that the student loan forgiveness path didn't work well for their situation. So they first investigated that, then got into the refi. So some of the other things you talked about, the refi ladder and the bonuses that you get, and, and the fact that it doesn't cost you any money to refinance it, that all still kind of blows my mind a little bit. Um, but uh, hey, you know, take advantage of the situation if you're able to, and uh Get yourself out of that debt as soon as you can. Number three, don't ignore your student debt. This problem will not go away. And Travis is exactly right. Don't ignore this. Do your research and find a plan that works for you and your spouse. I I hate to think that people are getting strategically divorced because of student loans or, or delaying or avoiding marriage altogether. But man, I, I guess at least they're doing something to get rid of the uh, get rid of the debt, taking some action. <laughs> it's a sad action, I guess. If you're still in love, and maybe you're just not legally married, I guess I suppose it's a, a similar spot. It's just a messed up situation. <laughs> anyway, so those were my top three takeaways. Number one, investigate student loan forgiveness. Number two, refinance your student debt. And then number three, don't ignore your student debt. I don't have as much uh, chipper with this, <laughs> with these three takeaways. Uh, but anyway, you know th- this stuff is it's kind of complicated, and it's not really designed well for the people who are uh, engaging in these loans. It's 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 a pretty bad situation. But anyway, whatever you do, make a plan and, and figure it out. Don't just ignore the student debt. Craft a plan with your spouse so you can eventually live student debt free. Now it's time to announce the money master of the week. The blogger known as Apathy Ends recently shared a student debt refinance success story on Twitter with me on his path to paying off $85,000 in student debt. He refinanced those loans from 6.38% to 3.85%. And this process of refinancing helped him to save around $3,000 in interest charges. That extra boost helped him to completely pay off his loans in 2018. So he's super proud of being student debt free and I wanted to celebrate his victory here and fits in well with our conversation today with Travis on the refinance. So it's these little strategies that I think can help us to find our debt freedom a little bit quicker. The only regret he has he said is that he didn't refinance sooner when he had that 85k total. If you want to learn more about his student debt elimination and his path to financial independence, check him out at apathyends.com. That's apathyends.com. And by the way, I love his writing. I literally share every article he writes on Twitter and have done so for a little while now. So check him out. Apathyends, thank you so much for sharing this news with us on Twitter. And congratulations for being our money master of the week have a recent financial victory that you want to share on the show, I would love to hear it and celebrate your victory. So email me at andy at marriagekidsandmoney.com or leave me a voicemail at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash voicemail. Would love to hear it. You'll find all the links and resources for today's show at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session122. And as a quick reminder, everybody, this show is for entertainment purposes only. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific financial situation. Before we go for the day, I would like to ask you to do any one of these three things to support this show. Number one, connect with me on Instagram or Facebook at Andy Hill MKM. That's at Andy Hill MKM. So either one of those, Instagram.com slash Andy Hill MKM or Facebook.com slash Andy Hill MKM. I'm spending a lot of time there and sharing some good stuff, so come hang with me. number two subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player so we can hang out every monday and then the last one number three share this episode with a friend who has a lot a lot a lot a lot of student loan debt and they're wondering what to do And if you're new to the show, I would highly recommend checking out Session 116, The 10 Steps to Young Family Wealth and Happiness. You can find that at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 116. It's a great place to start. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Earl Nightingale. All you need is the plan, the roadmap, and the courage to press on to your destination. Best of luck achieving your student debt freedom, my friends. Carpe diem!